It's another edition of the Peter B. Collins Show coming to you by podcast from San Francisco. No corporate sponsors here, but some great Americans support our program, including Marilyn Ryan, Deborah Newell, and Rita Sheldrake. Thank you for your voluntary subscriptions. As you may know, this program is distributed free via iTunes and at my website. But if you're in a position to help support it, we're much obliged. On the homepage at PeterBCollins.com, over on the right, just click on You Can Help. Our voluntary subscriptions start as low as $5 a month. Here's another installment in the Boiling Frog series, co-hosted with Sabelle Edmonds. And our guest today is Phil Weiss. And he is the co-founder of a powerful website that many peace activists refer to on a regular basis. MondoWeiss.net. And that's spelled out for you in the Peter B. Collins uh, show file information with this podcast. Phil's a former mainstream magazine writing journalist. And he found out that those mainstream publications weren't too interested in his reporting on the Middle East because he, despite being an American Jew, does not simply take the Zionist line. I'll look forward to your comments. Feel free to send me an email anytime, peter at peterbcollins.com. And thanks for listening. Welcome to Boiling Frogs. Illegal domestic wiretapping, FBI's national security letters, state secret privilege, TSA's one million plus no fly list, persecution of government whistleblowers, perpetual wars, rendition and torture. Can you feel the water boiling? Welcome to the Boiling Frogs with Sabelle Edmonds. I'm Peter B. Collins. Our guest today is Philip Weiss, an investigative journalist who has written for the New York Observer, The Nation Magazine, The American Conservative, National Review, Washington Monthly, New York Times Magazine, Esquire, Harper's Magazine, and Jewish World Review. He is the author of the 2004 book, American Taboo, A Murder in the Peace Corps, and he is the co-founder of the blog Mondo Weiss. He publishes it with Adam Horowitz. And he joins us today. We're very pleased to have you. Phil Weiss, thank you. Sure, yeah. Happy to be here. And just by way of uh, an introduction and reference, just yesterday I was at a meeting of uh, Palestinian activists, uh, those who seek justice for the Palestinians here in California. And uh, we were talking with uh, a representative of the uh, 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 Gaza Freedom Movement. Uh, That's the group that has sailed ships uh, across to challenge the blockade. Right. And also people who participated in the most recent uh, Gaza Freedom March. 
Paul LaRudy is uh, one of the founders of the, uh, the, the team that brings boats in. And uh, there were members of Code Pink and others who had been in Cairo and a couple who had made it into Gaza on December 30th of 2009 uh, to show their solidarity uh, just a year following the Israeli assault there. And I just want you to know that uh, there was a buzz in the room as people were saying, well, you know, Mondo Weiss, uh, Mondo Weiss, that's where I go to get my information. Great. And so I want to recommend your blog and news site to people. It's Mondo, W-E-I-S-S, dot net. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, the origins of the blog and your partnership with Adam Horowitz. Well, um, you know, the media are undergoing a tremendous um, transition. Everyone understands that. And I'm a 54-year-old journalist who made a living all my life in print journalism. And that um, print has started to fall apart. And, um, you know, when I started, that's one thing. It's just the industrial fact that, you know, a lot of the best journalism is now on the Internet. Not, Not that I'm putting myself in that category, but I do good journalism, I think. So that whole thing was going on, and then um, after the Iraq War, I began looking into the um, Jewish identity questions around the Israel lobby, and I couldn't find a home uh, in places that I used to work in the mainstream. They wouldn't write what I want. They wouldn't publish what I wanted to write, and so uh, those are the two big factors of why I'm on the internet. Um, just because everyone's going to the internet, and it's all changing, and I couldn't find a home for my ideas. And um, so I started the blog in 2006, almost four years ago. I got canned at the publication I'd worked at for many years, uh, the New York Observer, because they didn't want it after a year. I did it started at the New York Observer, and it was just too radioactive for them because uh, it was somewhat anti-Zionist. It's always been somewhat anti-Zionist, a little bit non-Zionist. but And... Uh, so I went out on my own three years ago, and it's um, it slowly developed a reputation. Um, so personally, the the other the larger story here for me, I mean, the, my personal story is that uh, after the Iraq War, just before the Iraq War started, my brother said to me, um, "I was against the Vietnam War, uh, but." Uh, I've demonstrated against the Vietnam War, but my Jewish newspaper says that this war, the Iraq War, might be good for Israel. And so what do you think about the war? And that statement was very shocking to me. And that statement is really the basis of of, of, of almost all the journalism I've done since that time, or since 2000, since I started blogging, it's been the basis of almost all the journalism I've done. In this sense, uh, it was a very true statement. It reflects the fact that uh, Jewish identity has shifted profoundly from being anti-war to being pro-war uh, in, in some organizational sense. I mean, Jewish organizations led Jewish newspaper, Jews at major newspapers and magazines led the opposition to the Vietnam War, and uh, the opposite is the case during the Iraq War. So there's been a crisis for Jewish identity in that, and my own identity, too, because I identify strongly as being Jewish. But um, don't want any part of this um, uh, the war on terror in as much as it reflects this Zionist agenda, which my brother was hearing in his Jewish newspaper. Mm-hmm. So that's really been the basis of my work. 
is sort of that statement and following it out. And uh, I sort of told the story backwards, but once I got into it, uh, the, the magazines I'd worked for just didn't want to hear what I had to say. I made a good living at magazines and newspapers all my life, and um, subsequently, and, and writing about a lot of, you know, nutty stuff over the years. I, I'm I'm a uh, out of the box kind of person. Written about a lot of nutty stuff and gotten published in newspapers and, and magazines, but not not in this issue. You mm-hmm. can't be outside a certain mainstream. And what and, is what is your relationship with the Nation Institute? Uh, well, around uh, last year, we got we hooked up with the Nation Institute. It took a little while, but uh, the Nation Institute is a left-leaning uh, think tank foundation institute in New York. And I think uh, the Nation Institute understands that the left now has to be engaged on the Israel-Palestine question and has to be engaged uh, from the standpoint of uh, Palestinian solidarity. Uh, you just can't be a lefty in America today without having some concern for uh, the uh, condition of four million, four and a half million Palestinians who have very few rights. And uh, Adam Horowitz, how did you align with him? Uh, around, I, I, so I did this thing as a blog for many years, for many years, geez, for two and a half years. <laughs> yeah, it seems like. And... Um, then uh, I met Adam. He's an activist. He comes out of an activist background uh, and um, more grassroots background than I do. And I met him. He was bringing uh, Israelis and Palestinians to the United States. He was working at the American Friends Service Committee. And he's just a very impressive person. Uh, he's a generation younger than me, just about. He's 36. And uh, I wanted help. I wanted to make my site better, and and it's just become incredible. The the synergy is just really good. I mean, we're just very different personalities and uh, somewhat different interests, but share a a core uh, concern with uh, uh, freedom for Palestinians. And from a Jewish standpoint, understanding that this is crucial to um, Jewish life, too. I mean, the the top concern is freedom for, for people who are oppressed, but there's a real recognition among uh, progressive Jews that uh, the Jewish religious civilization, whatever you want to call it, uh, in, in this country, is being really damaged by its uh, association with uh, militant Israeli policies. I share that view. Sibel? Yes. Let's talk about these publications, these magazines, because I, I won't want you to tell uh, us, and I have a pretty good idea because I have dealt with that, how do they refuse publishing these pieces? Is it done subtly, uh, or do they actually boldly say why it is that they, they, they refuse to publish this? Can you tell us how they play that game? So people can understand, like, is it at the editor's level? Is it subtle? Is it diplomatic? Is it pretty bold? How, how do they do it, Phil? Well, um, it's all of the above, but I think it's very explicit, actually. And I will have to fudge details because, um, you know, I have good friends in the business who gave me work for many years, and I still hope to get some work from some of them. But some of these editors have said explicitly to me, we can't run this stuff. We just can't. And I have the... um, 
and they can't run it because of um, uh, fear of alienation of advertisers okay. and publishers. And it's a reflection to some degree of uh, the Jewish, well, it's a reflection to a large degree of the Jewish presence in the media. And I'm the Jewish presence in the media. I don't share this view, but and they're, they're, therefore it's also a reflection of this kind of monolithic Jewish identity that's built around support for Israel. And the crucial, uh, uh, you know, the nature of the Jewish community and leadership being we have to support Israel. We're holding the the breathing tube for Israel. So this is not um, this is not like we're for health care reform, and we know you're not for it, and you can get published over here. No, this is something where there's a real uh, there's a party line in almost in in the mainstream media, and they just pieces get killed, pieces don't get assigned. Um, there's a, a literacy test. You can't write about this stuff because you don't know it well enough. Um, so there are all sorts of bars that are presented to people who have uh, uh, sort of contradictory or heretical ideas here or, or have liberal ideas about uh, Palestinian freedom. But ultimately, in my conversations, it, it, it's very explicit in the end. I mean, the editors know it, um, and maybe the editors agree with it. Some of the editors don't agree with it. Uh, but the editors know it, and this is the line. And that's why, you know, a former IDF soldier, uh, Jeffrey Goldberg, has had a stellar career writing about Israel-Palestine. He, 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 he was served in the Israeli army. He went over to become an Israeli, and he's one of the leading experts on this issue. And he's published in places I wouldn't be published. And the um, uh, chief... Jerusalem correspondent for the New York Times, Ethan Bronner, uh, his son is entering the Israeli army right now, according to reports. So this kind of um, confusion of uh, that exists in the Jewish community about where our loyalty lies, uh, are we supporting Israel, are we supporting the United States, what if their interests are, are in conflict, as I believe they are in conflict, that confusion extends into the... Um, the media, uh, uh, the, the, the sort of boardrooms of the media. There's some real confusion in, in mainstream media about, uh, you know, American and Israeli interests. And may I say uh, that actually we see the same kind of trend, in, uh, even within organizations, a lot of NGOs that deal with foundations, in, at least in, in Washington, D.C., and when an organization that receives funding from you know, various foundations, and again, I have dealt with that, they even mention these issues with, with a more objective, uh, open-minded uh, approach. You know, you get the calls for someone saying, well, you may want to pick your fight carefully. You know, you yeah. just talk about the whistleblowers stuff and other things, and of course yeah. war, but you just don't want to go there. And then you, if you confront and say, why? Well, because you're just so much you can fight, and, and you know, some of our foundation people, they just won't like it because they want to see you focus. Yeah. You know, this is what I'm talking about that I mentioned subtlety, and I see that, again, a lot. Uh, it's pretty widespread with yeah. uh, nonprofit NGOs here in Washington. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, so you're echoing my feeling or understanding, uh, or my experience, excuse me, that this is a, it can be very explicit. In that case, it's a lot of hinting uh, 
but you know, I mean, um, it just—I mean, it's changing. I also think it's changing. It's—it's it's just changing. It's slowly changing, but it's changing. I mean, people, there's an awareness in this country that this is really hurting the national interest, and there has to be room for a, you know, a contrary view on this. And, Phil, I think that's so important, and just by way of a a little thumbnail for you, I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinion guy. I've been Mm -hmm. doing talk radio for over 30 years. Yeah. And the issues of Israel and Palestine have always been uh, a source of of controversy and conflict in talk radio. Yeah. And and I've taken my lumps uh, over the years from Jewish interests because I am not anti-Zionist and I'm not anti-Israel. But I do support the aspirations of the Palestinians, and I am opposed to occupations, whether it is Gaza or uh, Iraq or Afghanistan or Northern Ireland. Right. And so I've been fairly consistent on those issues, and I've managed to avoid, uh, except from some extremists, the label of of Uh anti-Semitic. But I believe that some of the things that I articulate that echo what you just said, that it's in the self-interest of Israel— to hear the criticism. My criticism is aimed at the government of Israel, not mm-hmm. not people of, of, of a given faith and not their religious beliefs, yeah. but at the political practices, at the expansionism uh, yeah. in, in the West Bank, the illegal yeah. settlements, and uh, even just yesterday, Netanyahu is doubling down uh, to challenge the, the U.S. and others who want to try to broker some sort of rapprochement. Uh, and and they continue to essentially uh, muscle their way into this type of expansion. And my argument is that it's not good for Israel to to be this ruthless occupying force to repeatedly uh, take the the lives of innocent women and children, whether right. it's 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 in southern Lebanon a few years back or in the Gaza Strip uh, in the early days of 2009. Yeah. And it's so frustrating to uh, to hear what you have to say as a responsible Jewish American mm-hmm. and to see that our media is locked down uh, around these issues. And yeah. essentially, um, they are stenographers and propagandists yeah. because they will not, uh, uh, on, a, on a daily basis, offer balanced coverage of these issues. Right, right. It's very damaging. Well, it's really concerning. And I mean... Uh... I mean, even if you think that um, Israel's determined to commit national suicide, which maybe it is, I mean, because it's been pursuing this, uh, you know, it's created, it's it's set up an apartheid situation on the West Bank. It's, I've been there. It's, it's, it's apartheid. There's separate roadways. There's a pass system, fast differences. Uh, I mean, there's checkpoint. You know, it's the whole, whole deal. Um, <clears throat> even if you think Israel's committing national suicide. My issue has always been, well, what is my country? Why Why are we committing? Why are we engaging in the Middle East uh, in this manner? Why are we, um, you know, locking ourselves uh, to this uh, militaristic country where the Jews think that they're better than the, than the Arabs? Because uh, that ideology runs through a lot of uh, Israeli life. And it doesn't run through Jewish American life. By and large, Jewish Americans uh, enjoy minority status here. They they like democracy. Uh, they don't complain about uh, their their freedom. They have an, a tremendous amount of freedom. We're the richest group uh, by if you sort groups out by religion. We're we're far and away the richest group in the United States. 
were way overrepresented in almost all precincts of power. So, you know, democracy works for us here, and it doesn't work for Israel. And I don't know why it doesn't work for them, but, uh, you know, so it really is a question of, you know, why is the United States doing this? So, Right. And one point that uh, you mentioned is that it is actually damaging to Israel. And what one point that I want to uh, emphasize is at least I see that it actually causes anti-Semitism. Yeah. And here in the U.S., and, and this is yeah. for the uh, Jewish Americans, because when it gets to be waved, that flag, over and over and over and over for everything, yeah. being labeled either as anti-Semite or self-hating Jews, right. after a while, it, 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 it just wears itself up and it starts backfiring. And this yeah. is one of the things we see. And after we see with the Harvard paper, and more and more people, as you said, thanks to the Internet, get yeah. right about this, so the awareness is increasing. So among those who understand the issues, it's a different outcome. But then you get among many ignorance, it just causes your pure, simple anti-Semitism because right. of, of, of just getting it from the shallow level. So you would think it would be to the best interest of, let's say, in the United States, among Jewish Americans, to say these lobbyings and, and these methods and this style of propaganda is damaging to us, and you would see the biggest kind of opposition from the Jewish community itself trying to protect itself. Yeah. I think there's some generational shift there, hopefully. I mean, uh, uh, the last generation refuses to have that conversation openly uh, because they think that another Holocaust could happen. And um, it's not a reasonable position, in my view. First of all, there's no indication uh, that there's been anti-Semitic discrimination of any significance in the United States in the last 30, 40 years. Uh, and so, um, and secondly, we have incredible power in this country, and uh, we're deeply involved in the media. We have to have some type of conversation about this openly, and because if you don't have it, as you say, uh, the ignorance just kind of uh, breeds. I mean, when I was in the Middle East lately, a number of, uh, uh, on three occasions, uh, Palestinians or Arabs said to me, um, well, Jews run the United States. Jews control the Congress. Jews, the, um, Jews have, um, uh, you know, the most money of anybody in the United States. And I think that in each of these cases, I sought to answer these understandings with a more sophisticated understanding, and not to tell these people that they were wrong, per se. I mean, Jews don't control the Congress. Uh, Jews have a very large presence in the, in the American Congress and in the Senate. And certainly in the Democratic Party political process, Jew, Jewish money plays a very important role. And I don't think you can lie about these things. And I think the answer, it, it's, as you say, it's not as if people are, are completely ignorant about this stuff. They're aware of it. And if, if Palestinians are aware of it, I mean, it's their business to be aware of something about American policy because they're feeling the butt end of it. But... I mean, Americans have an understanding of this, too, and they're just not getting a very uh, intelligent um, journalism about it or discussion about it. I mean, if you look at my brother's statement about his Jewish newspaper, uh, think about how we talk about abortion policy in this, in this country, uh, stem cell research, uh, gay rights. We talk about all those issues 
uh, and bring up uh, Christian beliefs, which have played an important part in the political process. We, we talk about churches going to the polls. Why can't we talk about the Jewish presence on this issue, on Middle East policy? It's an extremely significant. Uh, it, 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 I think it forms our policy in, um, in Israel and Palestine. And uh, we don't talk about it. And I do on the Internet, and other people do, and other Jews do, and, and, and non-Jews. And I think that kind of conversation is, uh, is fine. Phil, how is it that um, so many people who support, even if they don't define themselves as Zionists, but as uh, very strong supporters of Israel, how can they turn a blind eye to the obvious hypocrisy of the wall, to the creation of Palestinian ghettos that are surrounded by you know, armed checkpoints, and the movement of Palestinians is as limited as it was in the Jewish ghetto in Warsaw. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a, as a young man, my father, uh, and I think it's clear we're Gentiles, uh, he took us to Dachau. Yes. Because he wanted us to witness yes. uh, what occurred there. And I, I'm not creating a full equivalency between a death camp and what's occurring in Gaza. Yeah. But it approaches that, and the, the uh, iconic value... Um, is is extremely negative. Yeah. And so how can so many people uh, turn their, their eyes and, and just uh, operate in denial about the tactics being used by Israel that were part and parcel of the Holocaust that they use as the reason for their, their extraordinary need for extraordinary security? Yes, that's all true. I mean, uh, I think that... Um the 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 answer the short answer i mean the happy answer to your question is there's no happy answer unfortunately but the the short answer is that the palestinian suicide attacks in the second intifada um uh you know uh, were a boon i mean that was a horrifying thing they were terrible and they they killed you know hundreds of innocent people but they also facilitated this land grab and so today, uh, the Bantu stands, the occupation, the checkpoints, the humiliation of 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 uh, older of of grown Palestinians. You see, you see a man being ordered at a checkpoint to lift his kaftan over his head. His underwear is exposed uh, to all the young. You know, this is complete humiliation of people. Um, the, the as you say, the persecution that recalls the Warsaw Ghetto and worse. Um, all these conditions are rationalized because uh, of Israeli security and because the Palestinians have used, some Palestinians have used terror tactics. And the great thing, and, and, and similarly that happened, you know, Gaza, they fired these rockets, they killed a number of Israelis in southern Israel, not that many, but they killed them, and that justified uh, the slaughter of 1,400 people a year ago and uh, virtual destruction of, you know, most of the uh, uh, or a lot of the business infrastructure of Gaza, and, and, and a continuing blockade and siege that's it's worse than the Warsaw Ghetto, I think. Um, the good news is that Palestinians are finally commanding the world's attention, and are therefore and, and are thereby uh, employing some nonviolent techniques. And this is the worst news that Israel could ever have, because its whole rationale for this uh, persecution is our security 
And what if it's Palestinians who are just doing nonviolent protests? And that is what Israel is clamping down on, is nonviolent protest at this expansion. So I think that that uh, bogus rationale for stealing more Palestinian land uh, and, and, uh, is beginning to dissolve uh, and, and will dissolve in the world's eyes. But I'm optimistic. Well, I'm glad you are. Uh, let's turn now to the Goldstone Commission report. Yeah. And for those who uh, aren't familiar, Richard Goldstone is a distinguished judge from South Africa. He identifies as a Jew and a Zionist. He took on this assignment with the stipulation that he could uh, uh, explore and uh, publish findings that might be critical of either Hamas or Israel. And indeed, he published a report that is critical of each side. Yes. And yet we've seen uh, first in the United States uh, a complete denial of the validity of the report uh, in lopsided votes in both houses of Congress. And I want to take a moment here to describe that I met Susan Rice, who is now our ambassador to the United Nations, Mm -hmm. uh, at the Democratic Nominating Convention in Denver uh, in 2008. And because one of the top advisors to John McCain was a lobbyist for uh, the uh, former Soviet Republic of Georgia, my first question to her was, who do you lobby for? And she answered, I don't lobby for anybody. Mm. And now fast forward to her role as a mouthpiece for the Obama administration. And she has taken this uh, uh, remarkable (laughs) position that we cannot look back. Not even a year. We can't look back to a year to the events occurred that occurred just weeks before Barack Obama took the oath of office. And that we must look forward. And we have to do that in the interests of peace. Yet the festering sore that is represented by the legacy of the Israeli attack on Gaza that was only a year ago is something that I can't ignore. I can't simply go fast forward and say, oh, it's too messy to look at that and we can't bother and it'll disrupt the peace process. Well, we can't have a peace process as long as Israel has the latitude to conduct this kind of an operation that did result in the slaughter of uh, more than half of those 1,400 Palestinians were unarmed women and children. Yes. And uh, the you, you have a post up at Mondo Weiss that people should read that's an excerpt from the Goldstone Report yeah, uh, about, about a brutal house raid by Israelis on a Palestinian home. Yeah. And and so as we look at this, it's bizarre to me, uh, and, and that word doesn't quite uh, do justice, to this posture that the U.S. is taking, that a report must be repudiated because it brings to light facts that are only a year old that, uh, you know, should yeah. be fully explored and, and should be there for everyone to see and, and judge. Right. Well, um, you know, I sort of have a twofold answer to you. One is, um, you know, the the I mean, I agree with you, but uh, my analysis of this is twofold. One is uh, uh, the universe of United States power politics, uh, which is what Obama cares about. He wants to get a second term, and the other is the uh, universe of um, of of sort of uh, Jewish life in the United States, global interest in Israel, European attitudes toward Israel. So, which is, um, uh, uh, well, let me deal with the first question. Uh, I mean, Obama didn't want to deal with this 
before he came into office. The the slaughter was happening in Gaza in the weeks before uh, he was inaugurated, and he had nothing to say about it. So he avoided this in this horrifying situation in which people had nowhere to flee, uh, and and it just you know just a, a horrifying situation. I've been there. I mean, just. Uh, you know, really, some of the uh, Goldstone who wrote this report says, I, I'm going to have nightmares for the rest of my life. You know, I met members of a family, 22 of them had been killed by a missile attack on a home. You know, 15 killed in a mosque with a missile attack. Uh, just com- uh, lack of any concern about uh, uh, the targeting of, of, of civilians. And in fact, actually, the targeting of civilians, uh, Goldstone alleged, by Israel. All this happened in Gaza, and Obama had nothing to say about it. And he, he was silent because uh, the, the Israel lobby is too important a factor in our public life. And uh, Jewish money is too important in the Democratic Party process. And he, uh, you know, many of his leading financial supporters are Jewish, uh, from, uh, and um, Jewish identity is such that almost all Jews in the United States support Israel. It's changing, but it's, it's, as Alan Dershowitz says, it's the secular religion of American Jews to support Israel. So that's the world of Obama. I think that his silence speaks volumes. The good news about Gaza is that uh, if you think back to the 67 war and the 1973 war, these are wars that electrified the world. We saw Israel... Uh, quote-unquote, on the verge of destruction. And they took on, you know, invading Arab armies, quote-unquote, invading Arab armies, and they destroyed them. And uh, Israel captured the imagination of many Gentile Americans. I have a friend, a neighbor, who will never forget that image of on Life magazine of the smiling, sunburned Israeli soldiers on a tank after they destroyed the... Uh, Egyptians in the Sinai. And she said it was just such a great story for us. It was just such a thrilling thing about these people who had been uh, decimated by the Holocaust, uh, being reborn and, and insisting on their right to exist. So that story captured America from 1967 on. It captured Jewish life, certainly. Uh, we became the guardians of the, the, the Jewish state in a way that we hadn't been. Uh, before 67. I mean, the Israel lobby had always been there, but after 67 and 73, it became even more pronounced. And Americans bought it, too. And the media, I mean, it wasn't just Jews in the media who supported Israel. It was uh, kind of this popular conception that my friend echoes. And the the great thing about Gaza, uh, I mean, these people, many, many people, innocent people died. People, So many people are maimed. They can say at some level that there that there was a value in this, in that it, it it has horrified the world, and it's changed the perception of Israel. It's made it clear that this is a, a militant and often uh, uh, racist policy that that uh, this this country employs, and Gaza is just sort of irrefutable evidence of that, and Goldstone is irrefutable evidence of that, and uh, so. I think it's going to have this massive effect on attitudes 
uh, and has already had a massive effect on attitudes toward Israel. It's it's caused a, a light bulb to go off for many progressive Jews to say, what what am I doing? Why have I avoided this question? I've met some of these people who avoided this question all their lives as progressives, quote-unquote progressives, except on Palestine, and now recognize, after Gaza, I can't be quiet anymore. They had that moment that I had with my brother when he said that he was the attempt to support the Iraq war because of Israel is one that many Jews had about Gaza. And, you know, the European community has shifted, uh, has become extremely uh, impatient with Israel because of Gaza. So I think that Goldstone, you, you can't make it go away. And I think no one will make it go away. Uh, it, it may go away uh, officially, but it's going to resonate because it's one of the most powerful moral documents you can read. It reads like Seymour Hersh on the My Lai Massacre. It reads like John Hersey on the Hiroshima uh, uh, atomic bomb. It's it's this very detailed and vivid account, uh, though you know written in legalese in some places, uh, about atrocities, and um, it's about uh, uh, you know one of the largest uh, armies in the world, the strongest armies in the world, raining down the most modern armaments on a defenseless people. And on civilians, on, on, on families that are huddled in... in on, on the water supply, on the food storage. Yeah, yeah. on the chicken farms. Ripping on, out olive trees with bulldozers. Yeah. yeah, so that's the new image of Israel. They got it. They built it. They got it with the Gaza War. And I think that's the, again, that's the really good news about the Gaza War is that it's, it's changing the world's perception, and they're not going to get away with this. And that might not, even in the United States, there's going to finally be some degree of accountability. And, Phil, it appears that Israel's strategy is shifting because they thought they could deep-six the Goldstone Report and just repudiated it with strong help from the United States. Yes. But now, as you point out at MondoWeiss.net, and uh, the aforementioned Ethan Bronner uh, had a story in the New York Times January 23rd where uh, he acknowledged uh, the shift here in strategy, and the article got fairly balanced, actually, if you read the whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they're 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 going to have to investigate some of this. They realize that this is not going to go away. I mean they're going to try to handle it on their own, but um, and thereby you know mute the um, UN investigation of this or any you know. But um, so I think that I mean the good news is that in that sense, I mean I don't think I think the Goldstone report should be uh, uh, celebrated. It should be embraced by the UN. And I think there should be, you know, hearings, tribunals, whatever. There should be indictments of some of these people who targeted civilians. I mean, some of these Israeli generals or, or military strategists talk about, well, we punish the civilian population for harboring uh, uh, terrorists. And, and that means innocent people, many, many innocent people. Uh, I think there should be, um, you know, a full investigation of all this. On the other hand, even if there is not, which, you know, the likelihood does seem to be that, that you know, given the American power here, given the uh, Israeli kind of wiliness on this thing, it, who knows what will happen. But I don't think it's going to—the good thing is that I don't think that Israel is going to do another Gaza anytime soon. I mean, that's that's the upside for the Palestinian people. There, there's not going to be another massacre in the near future, and I think for some time because of this. And, uh, you know, this massacre is a, is a Guernica. It's it's as vivid in people's minds as um, uh, you know uh, Guernica was uh, when um, uh, Picasso rendered it, uh, and 
Goldstone's no Picasso, but the events are so horrifying that uh, they're not going away. Phil, many people are aware of APAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. Yeah. And much of what they do is an expression of their viewpoint, and it's all uh, justifiable, legal, uh, and even though I may differ with their views, I respect their right to express them and to operate inside the political process. But we know that at least uh, in one recent case that APAC was a party to a spying mission uh, on the Defense Department. Uh, Larry Graham was the American who was uh, found uh, to have been uh, giving secrets to contacts uh, at APAC, and those two contacts now are back in Israel. And uh, furthermore, we saw that Congresswoman Jane Harmon, a staunch supporter of both APAC and domestic wiretapping, was captured in an FBI intercept, and I hasten to uh, stress that that's not part of the overall NSA wiretapping that we're subject to, Uh, but she was caught in a a very incriminating conversation where essentially she was asked to uh, uh, lobby for forbearance for these two Israeli uh, uh, spies, and uh, in exchange, she asked APAC for political support uh, because she wanted to chair the House Intelligence Committee. And, and I find this remarkable on every level, and it, the information is known in the United States, but has been barely covered by corporate media, and it's a part of, of this overall deference to Israeli interests that I find extremely troubling. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's corruption. Uh, I think it's just corruption of our political process to the point where, uh, you know, again, Jane Harmon thinks she's she's going to get APAC to help lobby or, you know, a, a big backer of APAC, I think it was, um, to help lobby for her to be the, the chair of that committee. I mean, this interest, uh, this Israel interest is so infused in our politics that, you know, uh, it, it's it's a it's a deep form of corruption, and uh, it's staggering. I mean, it just and there's there's just countless examples of it, and it includes uh, everything from um, uh, you know uh, the um, is it Howard Berman, the chair of foreign affairs in the House, who has said that you know one of the principal reasons he even got into politics was Israel. Uh, you know what? If you sat him down. And asked him, you know, where where does the American interest stop and Israel interest uh, begin? He would, I believe, essentially tell you that the interests are congruent. And many of these public servants uh, in high uh, uh, um, positions in our government would say the the interests are congruent, and that is crazy. The interests of the United States and Israel are not congruent. And the interests of, a, of the United States with a country that uh, has created apartheid conditions, uh, you know, for nearly half the population it has control over, that, there's no American interest in that. You know, Osama bin Laden says that Americans will not have security so long as Palestinians don't have security. And uh, I don't like Osama bin Laden saying that, but... That represents a real threat to American security, our identification with these with this country. And it it just penetrates uh, in so many places. 
and uh, you know the APAC problem is just you know it's just too embedded in our in 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 our public life, and how do we sort it out? I just you know that's where I think that uh, the Jewish identity question is 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 a is in a very important aspect of this where. I anticipate there's going to be a war inside the Jewish community over this. I've been predicting this for years. I predicted predicted it after my brother told me that about his newspaper. I, I just didn't see how uh, Jewish life could emerge from the Iraq war without some tremendous soul-searching over what component of our community actively supported this war, this disastrous war, on the part of America. And why did they do it? What was our... Israel concern and what is Israel doing to our identity and uh, that conversation is starting to happen in the Jewish community and that is one way I, I mean we're talking about a political question you brought up a political question about you know investigations and congressmen and, and I'm bringing it to a spiritual level but I think that there's there is some connection here uh, between uh, this war within the Jewish life, which has to begin over Jewish identity. I don't think that any one of us wants to say Jews can't run for public office. Jews can't be in the media. That's absurd. It's uh, it's racist. It's anti-Semitic. And uh, my parents' generation fought that type of bar. But what has to begin is, is, is an open conversation in the Jewish community in which others are free to participate, but I think originating in the Jewish community, in which we talk about Jewish identity and we say, uh, what, what has happened uh, to these people? You know, love of the book is what I grew up with, love of intellectual discussion, and, and now it's shut down over this question. You're not allowed to question Israel. Uh, so... That's my best hope for reform on that. But I think that there also, I mean, you know, there should be investigations of some of this stuff, too. Well, how could it be? Because the media killed a story. They defended and they protected Jane Harmon. And interestingly, I know Peter mentioned the corporate media, the mainstream media, but the biggest attack to the you know on those reporters who reported on this, who yeah. exposed this, came from the so-called progressive alternative media. Really? Yes, yeah. because Jeff Stein of Congressional Quarterly exposed this, and I know he has some excellent, several excellent sources, the Justice Department and the FBI, because some of those FBI agents, at least one of those FBI agents, used to work where I worked. But anyway, these agents, they went and they, they gave him these reports, and they actually gave him the supporting documents because they were exasperated. They already knew that the APAC trial was going to get fudged, yes. going to drop it. And this was desperate. like, look, this is part of that. And, and right. Jeff Stein was not the first reporter they went to. Another reporter did not report on this. Wow. Okay? And I know it from an inside source. Yes. Jeff Stein reported. And the most vicious attack, calling him an anti-Semite, Calling this a CIA attempt to uh, destroy Jane Harmon because yeah. CIA was upset with Jane Harmon came from actually a so-called progressive liberal magazine. Wow. It came from the Nation magazine and it came from Laura Rosen. Wow! Yeah. Even New York Times and Washington Post, looking at the evidence and documents, they actually had to basically back off and say yes. However, yeah. they left it at that. But the biggest attack on Jeff Stein 
The biggest cover-up came from this reporter who's been selling herself, marketing herself as a progressive reporter, which she's not. Wait, and that's Laura Rosen? Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. And that has been known within the Washington circle for years. Interesting, yeah. But I a mean, lot of people, they say, yeah. oh, you know, if, if there is so-and-so magazines, there, there, and a lot of people, even the progressive activists in the in the forums, you know, the people who go to blog sites like, you know, Democratic Undergrounds or Daily Coast, they yeah. followed that lead. They were like, oh, yeah, this is because, first of all, CIA had no animosity towards Jane Har- Jane Harmon has been serving the CIA pretty well. Uh-huh. And they made this to be a CIA attempt to smear wow. Jane Harmon. And the, the real story went away because of that. Wow. That took over, and they successfully did it. Wow. Now, how much of it is what people try to label as conspiracy theory, which was designed, how much of it is, you know, that's, this is how it works when it comes to Israel issue. Again, that, that should be determined because somebody should follow up on this. Yes. And Jane Harmon is just uh, scratch-free operating. Yes. She's the largest recipient of all congressional people of the Israel lobby money. Yeah. Well, she's one of them anyway. Yeah. She's right up there. Right. And, and yeah. Phil Giraldi wrote a very good piece on this. Yes. And, and we always follow Phil Giraldi, but yes. it, it was just really amazing to see that the real attack came uh-huh. from the supposed enlightened progressive community. Yeah. Actually, to me, for me, it's more dangerous because people can yes. take it to be, oh, this is more factual because it's not the mainstream. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I think you're, you know, you're hitting on some really important points from my standpoint in that, uh, you know, progressive community is corrupted by this question. Uh, the Israel lobby is in, I mean, the Israel lobby, as I see it as a function, I mean, first of all, the failure to look into this on the media's part is a failure to look into the Israel lobby generally. And it's outrageous. There's been no investigation, you know, no real investigations of the Israel lobby. It just does not happen. And um, the mere fact that you have uh, the, the book, The Israel Lobby, comes out with uh, this accusation that neoconservatives push the Iraq war out of concern for Israel's security, um, which I think is more than an accusation. I think that it's an observation of, of reality. And you have many journalists uh, or many uh, thinkers e- echoing that point, that the neoconservatives pushed this war, the, the, the brain trust on this horrifying war was doing it out of Israel's security needs or perceived needs on American war. I mean, that is a scandal. And during the Vietnam War, that would have been the basis of a you know seven-part series, uh, taking up uh, a lot of space in the New York Times, uh, uh, the Pentagon Papers, or something like that. It doesn't happen this time. And so, the inattention to Jane Harmon's corruption or apparent corruption over uh, you know her willingness to go to bat for these people who were you know alleged to have spied for Israel, you know, it's just part and parcel of the the media's failure to look into this stuff. And then when you tell me that it was progressives who gave her cover, you know, progressives gave, quote-unquote, progressives gave cover to the neoconservatives. When um, when the allegations about the Iraq war came out, progressives, instead of looking into this uh, and saying this is a vital part of our brief as anti-war activists in America, uh, progressives tended to, you know, hide under the under the, the, the under the rug or under the couch and say, um, oh, uh, George Bush did it. Dick Cheney did it. Yeah, of course they did it. No one's questioning they did it. Where did they get these bad ideas? 
And so there's been a more active conversation about that in the Israeli press than there has in the American press. Absolutely. Uh, let's call them pseudo-progressives. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, we promise to uh, honor a time commitment here, Phil. And, Great. And Thanks, Peter. We will do so. But I, I just wanted to get your yeah, final one question for you before we hang up. Okay. I, I wanted to ask because you have freely used the term apartheid yes. to describe the yes. Israeli posture toward uh, the Palestinians in yes. Gaza and the West Bank. Yeah. And this is a very um, powerful term. And Jimmy Carter used it in the subtitle of a recent book. Yes. Uh, about the conflict and was widely excoriated for it. How can we, if if the term apartheid is too loaded or too uh, uh, explosive to use, how can we convey to people the nature of this occupation, the separate roads, the checkpoints, the uh, sharp limits on the freedom of Palestinians in both Gaza and the West Bank, uh, how can we convey this to people in a way that's meaningful, that doesn't uh, get uh, cause the recoil of the term apartheid, uh, because uh, it's now been demonized essentially as an anti-Semitic term as applied to the situation we're talking about? Well, I guess, um, you know, the problem is that uh, it is apartheid in the West Bank. I don't think that, uh, you know, recently Michael Ratner, head of the Center for Constitutional Rights, who's looked into uh, human rights and civil rights around the world, went to the West Bank. He comes back, he says this is open and notorious systematic apartheid. It's separate roads. It's a pass system. It's based on essentially a racial distinction between um, uh, Israelis, who are almost all Jewish, uh, who are going using these roads versus Palestinians who are uh, not Jewish in their own territory. And uh, when I was in the West Bank and I met uh, uh, the, the first time four years ago, I met a guy from South Africa and who had lived through apartheid. He says, this is worse. You go to places where Palestinians cannot walk in the roads that they live on. They cannot walk in the street that their house is on. And the Israeli army is enforcing that because there are settlers living there. So that is worse than apartheid, according to this, uh, uh, well, not just the South African I met. So I don't think that, uh, I don't care uh, when people say, I mean, it's horrifying that they demonize that word. I'm going to use the word. I've observed the conditions. I've heard experts describe it as apartheid. I'll describe it as apartheid. And uh, so... Uh, the question that you asked, though, is not really about me. It's about how you make these conditions known to people. And I think that the Palestinians are now doing a great job with Israelis of doing demonstrations at the wall that goes inside Palestinian security wall. Why is it taking uh, 10% of the Palestinian land? The land grab. Mm -hmm. uh, they're great demonstrations, nonviolent demonstrations, where the Israeli army turns, uh, you know, starts shooting rubber bullets and stun grenades and this and that. I mean, they're bringing attention to this and uh, through nonviolent means. And I think that there's a real possibility that um, uh, the, the sort of civil rights struggle that, that so commanded the world's uh, attention and American attention in the 1960s, that that's about to begin. In, in Palestine. So that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, call it Jim Crow, call it segregation, call it apartheid. It's wrong. And 
any liberal American, any democratic human being, citizen, uh, looks at this and knows that it's wrong. It's horrifyingly wrong. Uh, so I guess, you know, from my standpoint, all I can do is just uh, just trying to keep get try to keep getting the word out. But uh, I think that the, the smearing of Jimmy Carter was unfortunate, and um, you know, uh, someday it'll be looked back on as a horrible chapter in the media. Phil, did you want to ask us a question on the air or off? Well, no, just on the air. I was curious Fine. about uh, you know you said that you're not an anti-Zionist, and um, there's a question I have some you know, ambivalence about. But why uh, a lot of people um, uh, are, you know, some people in the movement uh, uh, that that um, I'm engaged with, the Solidarity Movement, some of them are against the existence of Israel as a Jewish state. And I'm wondering w- whether you have a position on that question, if whether it's something you thought about. Indeed. I, I support the right of Israel to exist. Uh-huh. Uh, I generally support the so-called 1967 borders, and, you know, I oppose the occupation of Gaza and the encroachment through the illegal settlements in the West Bank. Uh, that said, uh, I think that uh, the nation of Israel uh, is it does have a right to exist. I don't support the biblical claims to the land. I am a modernist, a secularist, who believes that uh, there should be a separation of, of church and state mm-hmm. if you have a true democracy. And so I don't think, though, that that is, uh, I, while it may appear to be a duality to hardline Zionists, I don't think it's a contradiction. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, the thing that's fascinating about this whole thing is that uh, two years ago the prime minister of Israel said, um, we're committing national suicide uh, because uh, the Jewish state is based on a Jewish majority. Um, and they had a Jewish majority inside those 49 armistice borders, which would have been the basis for the you know, two-state solution, which never happened, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, now they now they effectively have control over a territory that is half Jewish and half Palestinian. And so that's that's the suicide factor. That they, they have done more to destroy the idea of the Jewish state, I think, than the Palestinians have, who, who never really liked the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Philip Weiss, thank you for joining us today on The Boiling Frogs, and I want to refer people again to mondoweiss.net. Thank uh, you. We really appreciate the work you're doing. Greatly there. appreciate it. Thanks for the, the smart, good, tough questions. Good night.
Thank you for joining us. We'll be back soon with more Boiling Frogs interviews.